0: He's finally here. We have you know, these integrations with products that make it possible to you know, go from content to product to purchase seamlessly.
1: Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm it. And this when is Creative Generation. Creative Generation of hype. This week we're chatting with James Creech, who is the CEO of Paladin, which is a top influencer marketing platform, and he is also an advisor and investor in the space, and very knowledgeable in the video space. Well, he's got some serious creds. What are we chatting to him about? We're going to be chatting about a bunch of things, including social commerce and new ways creators are monetizing their audiences.
2: Hey, uh, before we get started, if you like this podcast that we've put together for you, please let us know on Apple Podcasts by leaving a review. We'd love to hear what you think about it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Creator Generation. This week, we are joined by James Crete. Welcome, James. Thanks, guys. Excited to be here. Hey, look, long-time listeners know, short-term listeners know that I cook this up, so I hand it straight over to you to give us an introduction of who you are. Sure.
0: So I'm James Creech, co-founder and CEO of Paladin. We build influencer marketing software for media agencies, uh, influencer marketing agencies, and, and talent networks. Uh, started the business five years ago with two partners, having come from an agency background. So we're building tools to help make influencer marketing campaigns more successful and save people time. Uh, aside from that, I also host a podcast called All Things Video. I've been doing that for about six years, which is a lot of fun. I get a chance to kind of sit down and dive deep into entrepreneurs' stories and and, uh, how the digital media space is playing out. Um, I do a bit of executive coaching and and also some uh, advisory work with early stage companies to help keep me out of trouble. So a little bit of everything, but uh, that's kind of the overview.
2: Random one to start with, James. We have had an internal debate about where the name Paladin came from.
0: Sure. Well, I'm, we'll tell you I'm... what the
2: Betty's after. Uh, exactly.
0: I was going to say, i have time to know. So when we when we were starting the business, uh, we wanted something that communicated the values that we wanted to have in the company, right? And so, uh, if we're going to get real nerdy for a second, we'll talk about you know, paladins were knights in the French court in the 13th century, and uh, they were known for their tenacity and their integrity, right? Those were the the values, and so we felt like that really aligned with um, what we wanted in the company. Of course, you know, you're probably thinking like Paladin is also a class in World of Warcraft and D&D. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a gamer too, so we love no that. I'm not.
1: We didn't think that. <laughs> Le- yeah, Lee said that. Lee said, hey, it's yeah. to it's do with, with uh, World of Warcraft. And we're like, no, I don't yeah. think it is necessarily to do with that. So, yeah. Yeah. so I
0: interned uh, at Blizzard <laughs> um, when I was in college and university. And uh, I had an awesome time there, but was like not a big gamer, especially not a PC gamer at the time. Uh, had a lot of fun, but like still feel very close to the gaming world uh but no not not really a big wow guy, not a big d and d player so yeah, nice. it goes back to the historical context
1: and uh, you, you, you we've um you, you mentioned your podcast too, and I recommend people do check it out it, it is actually pretty pretty great um and you got some very very good guests there and took about some very interesting I things r- related to video um and yep. one of the things i mean we really want to chat about to you today is about this um the growth in Commercial opportunities for creators, you know, around things like uh, user pay and also, you know, the growth of social commerce too, because it's a super fascinating area. And we we were just chatting to Brennan Gunn as well, um, and he was talking about you know some really fascinating trends in the area and how, um, you know, impulse buying, for example, is like up so much more when it comes to social commerce. So it's it's a really fascinating and an area I think people don't really quite understand yet really well. So. Maybe I'd start by saying, can you sort of explain, firstly, social commerce generally?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Brendan gave you a great definition. So we'll definitely point people to that podcast and also my conversation with him on all things video. Uh, Brendan is uh, really in the weeds on what's happening in the Chinese video market, which is a leading indicator, especially, you know, as he'll point out to what's going to happen here in the West. And social commerce is really fundamentally the idea that, you know, people can interact with content and make a purchase based on something they see in a video, right? So I'm browsing, you know, something on YouTube or TikTok. I see a really cool product. I want to learn more about it. Maybe I want to buy it. I can do it right there in the app. It extends beyond UGC platforms. It could, you know, take place in Netflix. I think we're going to see, you know, more premium shoppable experiences in the future. But um, yeah, that's that, the whole idea of merging commerce and, and online content
1: and when you think about it it just seems like a completely logical progression um and like you said in china it's it's become enormous um it's growing in other parts of the world obviously but why are we slower than or why are we when i say we why is the western world slower than, than china
0: yeah, it's really anybody's guess right i mean i feel like i've been hearing people promoting shoppable video for seven years now right yeah. so it's kind of like vr like maybe we just go through these cycles where it's hyped and oh, we're so close, it's coming, it's coming. And then, you know, it, it fails to deliver. Uh, you know, obviously there are cultural differences between um, every every territory, every country, certainly a lot of different, you know, um, nuances about, say, the Chinese market compared to the US, the Australian market. Uh, I, th- I think one of the biggest differences is infrastructure, right? You think about um, in a lot of traditional Western markets, we have broadcast and cable television. We have, you know, movie theaters. We have... Uh, you know, this, this traditional, um, you know, internet system. And and a lot of the developing world has leapfrogged some of those technologies, which have kind of served as barriers to our adoption of newer technologies more quickly, right? A great example of this, I see, like, we have an office in Vietnam. So when I go to Vietnam and spend time there, I notice that so many people are spending time on mobile phones, and they don't have traditional, you know, broadcast or cable TV subscriptions. They'll watch YouTube TV and they'll cast it to a mobile device. Um, so, you know, I think that, that that's one of the biggest obstacles is the cultural differences, the infrastructure differences, and um, the fact that people are only now still becoming more and more comfortable with online commerce, right? There's this idea that in the West, a lot of things feel very accessible. I can go to the store and try on a product before I decide to buy it and maybe you don't have that same level of um, you know a network of of physical retail brick and mortar stores built out in other places in the world so you know online shopping became more prevalent faster
1: It's it's i i don't remember the stat Brendan gave exactly but it was something like like it's uh, impulse buying it's up three three times more in 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 social commerce it's like just insane people just look at something and go, oh this is great it's like almost like you know without thinking about thinking about it they're like okay I'm, i need this product i'm gonna buy it straight away rather than you know seeing it once and then coming back and thinking oh do i need to buy you know i really need this and then on the third time coming back and deciding it's like like how why do you think creators are, are making that connection and uh, and convincing people to buy straight away well
0: i think number one is influence marketing works right i mean mm. we've been uh Following this business over a decade as it's evolved, influencer marketing is nothing new, but its applications in a social media context are, are pretty profound. It's changing advertising as we know it, right? We, we I grew up in a world of interruptive ads, you know, as, as uh, the experience, right? We watch the Super Bowl to see these ad breaks, right? But in reality, like, is that driving purchase intent? Is it driving consideration or favorability or conversion? Not necessarily, right? Not all the time. Um, whereas social media influencers, you feel a really close connection to this, right? And it's funny, I've, I've been in the business for so long and yet I didn't necessarily follow too many creators or online personalities until maybe like two years ago. Um, and maybe that was just the generational gap, right? Like some people grew up on the internet, like my, ourselves, right? And my parents grew up on TV and this newer generation is growing up on, on social media, And so I just felt a little bit of a distance where I was like, "Eh, I'm not really the target audience for TikTok. or I don't feel like I really care that much about Instagram. And I wanted to make more, you know, IRL connections with, with friends, but, you know, as I've discovered more and more of the incredible content creators on these social platforms and honestly like losing interest in some of the traditional premium content uh, it's, it's become something I've been so fascinated with. And it's, it's amazing that I have this inside perspective on it, you know, as, practitioner of of influence marketing building tools to help with this every day. But uh, I've also found a way to discover it and and really appreciate it for myself. And it's funny because this whole time, like, I guess I've been a creator and I didn't realize it or didn't want to acknowledge it. (laughs) I talked with Phil Ranta about this on my podcast recently. I asked him, Phil, do you think ultimately everyone is going to be a creator? And he said, you know, I think we kind of already are at that point, right? I've been producing a podcast for years. I'm now publishing content on LinkedIn all the time and finding ways to share things with, with people online. But I, I guess I never would have classified myself as a content creator, certainly not as an influencer, right? I just um, like to to help share what I've learned and connect with people through this way. And now I have a much deeper and richer appreciation for it as a result.
2: I love that you say that, James, because um, we did just bestow creator status on Brendan Gunn. <laughs> Sorry, um, <clears throat> because it is ours to give. And, and of course. Um, yep. We are we are the uh, beholders of that. We we spend. That's a lot of very time generous of you guys. And so I think I think James, you well and truly have earned creator status. and We bestow that upon you. Well, you thank you. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> you are a creator, and maybe that's where where your introduction starts. Well, I'm a creator. Um, but yeah, it's it's super fascinating all this stuff, and particularly like, do you do you think? Like and, and, and my inkling is the effectiveness of of like social commerce and and being able to buy is twofold. One is like now there's like the the opportunity to do it really seamlessly like the integrations are really good like you can like shopify now has integrations with facebook and insta and stuff like that so it's like boom but then also like that opportunity is at that point of influence at that time that they are people are inspired and influenced and if the time of feeling is then you can instantly instantly get that gratification or that that thing rather than even with with social advertising, it would still be like, okay, cool, I saw that, I will then go somewhere else, maybe later, I'll share it, I'll save it. Same with TV and traditional advertising. Do you think that's kind of like the sort of holy grail that's made this accelerate to the point we're at now?
0: I think so. And to Farhad's earlier point, right, that it feels like you're making maybe a split second decision. I'm going to buy this product, right? I've just seen this video. But in reality, you've built this relationship with an influencer over how long, right? Maybe months, years of following their content. And so while it might seem very sudden, in reality, you know that I trust this person. I've watched so much of their content. I know what they're about. I I share maybe similar philosophies or values. And I know that they're not going to recommend a product that they don't stand behind. And therefore, there's this level of appreciation, right? I mean, it's, it's equivalent to, you know, uh, Hey, can I trust my friend's recommendation for a great restaurant or the next, you know, movie to watch uh, knowing that we have similar tastes, it's like, okay, that, that, that saves me time, right. In, in the, the decision process and the purchase process. So it, while it may feel quick, it, it, it's built on this history of trust and, and established credibility.
2: Mm-hmm. it's like it's like everything in this space nothing is nothing is built overnight like the overnight sensation the overnight purchase i guess or the instant purchase that's kind of yeah. mm-hmm. interesting dichotomy there sorry Frederico. But, yeah.
0: yeah well <laughs> and i think the, the earlier point you made about now we have infrastructure to enable shoppable commerce uh, or, or shoppable video in, in such a more meaningful way is finally here Right? we have shopify we have amazon we have you know these integrations with products that Make it possible to you know go from content to product to purchase seamlessly. Whereas before, it would have been okay, you know, hunt this down, go to the link, enter your credit card details right now. We've we've streamlined that so so much that it's benefited consumers who want to engage with the content and then make a purchase. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, obviously, you know, that we we hear this from creators all the time when something new happens or, you know, there's a new monetization method. They're like, they're just another layer of, of things they've sort of got to get their head around. Um, do you have any advice for creators who are keen to take advantage of, of social like what what can they be doing right now? Should they be, you know, the way they create a value proposition or the way they integrate, you know, products? How, how should they be approaching it?
0: Yeah, well, the number one thing is to start with your audience, right? What is the type of content that you produce? What would be valuable to your audience? Uh, You know, think about how do I build a strategy, build a platform and leverage this so that people are going to get some some good value, some utility out of what you're creating. Um, And then, you know, as you grow your audience and and feel like you're in a place to provide them with these trusted recommendations, you can either do affiliate marketing, right? Where you're promoting links to someone else's products. Uh, you know, there's, there was an example of this magic links recently had a hugely successful day, um, promoting, uh, product sales with influencers through SMS, which is a really interesting kind of case study. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, affiliate marketing models. There are, uh, you know, building your own brands and, and product identities around the influencer and uh, Jeffrey star, right? Uh, Michelle Fawn is perhaps the original example of this. Um, you know, Mr. Beast recently had the, the Mr. Beast burger Mm. where he was creating these ghost kitchens and essentially lending his brand to this idea of like creating, you know, this nationwide burger phenomenon in the US, which is pretty cool. So, uh, there's a lot of different approaches, but again, start with the audience. What do your fans really want? What's something that you can credibly, reliably, uh, put your brand behind, whether it's someone else's product or your own product, and then, um, you know, find ways, ideally, that, you know, this is going to give back or help your audience. I think we've seen some incredible examples of um, social giving, uh, you know, people with raising money for a good cause or or, uh, donating money to charity. Uh, There's some incredible examples of that in the influencer community. And so if you can really activate across all all three of those elements, I think you've got a recipe for success.
1: Simple (laughs) Simple as that. That's the answer we need to give people. There you go.
2: On, on that then, like, do you have a thesis on what size a creator's audience needs to be before they should even consider, like, a, a, I don't want to say put their hand out because that's what creators think they're doing. They're like, oh, I, I shouldn't be asking my audience for money. It's like, well, you're exchanging something of value, but um, whether that is content or uh, physical product or whatever. But do you, is there a, like, is there a minimum or max, like a, a, a starting point for a creator, do you think, to start uh, leveraging their audience directly and selling to them?
0: Well, there's a part of your question that I want to get to in a bit, which, you know, the other side of the coin is a lot of influencers do, frankly, ask their audience for money all the time, right? Link in bio for merch <laughs> or, uh, you know, asking them to tip on things like Twitch or even now YouTube rolling out the applause feature, testing it at the moment. Um, user pay is a whole other element to this monetization discussion, but as it relates to commerce, uh, look, I don't think there are any hard and fast rules. I'm sure there are kind of guidelines and best practices of, you know, don't think, you know, if you have, uh, 500 followers on Instagram that you're going to be able to start hawking products and get brands knocking down your door. But at the same time, it's all about relative audience influence, right? So say for instance, um, you know, uh, Brendan Gahan talking to someone about his expertise in in, uh, social media marketing and what he's learned building this massive following on TikTok. If he published an ebook, like, I'm sure there are people who would pay for it. Brendan doesn't have the biggest audience in the world, but he's like a trusted resource and the the people in our space look to him as someone who's a researcher, a thinker, right? Versus um, someone with a massive audience who can move people to buy a product. Mr. Beast is, again, kind of the canonical example at the moment uh right you can you can move mountains with the, the size of that audience so um and, and he's done so right with like his giving ideas. Like, planting <laughs> trees next
2: video i moved this mountain <laughs> <laughs> yeah right
0: it, it probably could happen
2: look he's, so a, he's, event, a, he's a listener so he'll probably go and take that idea it's all right Jimmy. i'm sure he will yeah, uh, yeah.
0: and once you bestow upon him official creator status he'll be yeah you yeah. oh, yeah, haven't it, had be- that conversation <laughs> yet i haven't
2: seen his application come through yeah, yet no, so no, um, no. We'll, we'll talk to them uh, Sorry, I've derailed it completely.
1: Um, <laughs> no, good. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, heading forward, like, what do you think are going to probably be the, the next sort of important or bigger trends in, in social commerce in, in the next year or two?
0: I, well, I think it's probably no surprise to say that live streaming and social commerce are uh, where we're seeing a lot of the traction at the moment. Um, you know, that's, that's what a lot of people are talking about. You see the success of a model like network, right. Where they've created these really bespoke activations with influential voices, particularly in the the urban culture, hip hop community. Um, we are, uh, also seeing early traction on Amazon live, right. I've, I've heard anecdotally of people really rushing into Amazon live at the moment because of the opportunity there to drive product sales. Um, you know, Instagram, everybody else has, has a live product. So I think there's natural opportunities for commerce. Um, all of the social platforms are leaning into it very heavily. Y- you mentioned, right. The Shopify integrations with Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, uh, announcing just this week. I don't know when this will come out, but, you know, Neil, um, the, the chief product officer for YouTube has said that, you know, they're leaning more into commerce this year. So it, I, I don't think it's any surprise that short form video, which of course is, at at the focus for every platform right now. And then live video are really probably the hallmark formats for promoting, um, you know, promoting these
1: shoppable experiences. I'm going to, I, we had a chat to Brennan about this as well, but what do you think though um, about the the various platforms? I mean, you've got YouTube, you've got TikToks, you've got, you know, Instagram and so forth. Um, They do seem to accrue followers at a different rate. And I think there is probably a different value. Associated with a follower on TikTok versus YouTube, for example. Mm -hmm. How do you think that's going to translate into dollars when people are trying to sell something like 100,000 people on TikTok, followers on TikTok compared to 100,000 on YouTube, for example?
0: Well, the advantage of newer emerging platforms like TikTok is that they have better organic reach, right? So, in fact, TikTok over indexes, I mean, you'll get more organic reach than your, your true following, right? Over 100%, which is incredible. So that's why people are growing audience so quickly on the platform. YouTube, right, is more mature. It's massive, over 2 billion people using it in every week. And so it's harder to have that same level of organic reach. And then Facebook, you know, my analysis is Facebook and Instagram are increasingly becoming more pay to play because that's in the best interest of the platform, right? The, the, the more that you can... Lower organic reach, and then ask a marketer to pay to make up the difference. Right, the more money you as the platform make, so the incentives aren't necessarily aligned. But at the end of the day, are the followings? Um, uh, is it it's an apples to oranges comparison, right? Because one hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube is a very different thing than one hundred thousand followers on TikTok. I would argue that the YouTube following is more valuable because it's probably harder to reach that milestone at this point, amass that that level of engaged following. Um, TikTok, it's a little bit easier to do. The other thing is we're talking right now just about commerce, but um, YouTube, I mean, is far and away the best direct monetization platform for influencers, brands, publishers at the moment, right? Not only do they have advertising, you can of course do branded content which is indirect monetization. Um, you have tipping, you have you know um, channel uh, subscriptions. You have kind of all of these different monetization options at your fingertips. Um, other platforms are kind of getting in the game. And I think it's now table stakes that you have to have some level of monetization to be competitive, right? It's not enough to just say, Hey, you're going to get huge audience and engagement on our platform and just go out and hawk that for, for brand sponsorships, you know, TikTok knew it had to create uh, this creator fund and knew it had to help facilitate those types of sponsorships through its marketplace. Um, you know other platforms are realizing that too clubhouse is a great example right launching getting all this buzz around audio format but making a pledge with this you know new fundraise that they are going to invest a lot of that money back into building a sustainable creator economy on the platform
2: if you like this conversation or want to be part of the conversation how about join us each week on clubhouse we get guests from the podcast on there talking all about about the creator generation and the creator economy, you can ask your own questions. So if you think you can do a better job of this than myself or Fred, and let's be honest, you probably can, head on over, hit us up on Clubhouse. We're there every Sunday, 3 p.m. for the West Coast of the USA, 6 p.m. in the East, and in Australia, obviously, we are on Mondays, 10 a.m., Daylight Saving Time. Catch you there. Hey, James, I wanted to ask you, um, who do you think should pay for the content, like, Platforms sort of enable, at the moment, like creators to probably their their, their most earns. Obviously, YouTube has you know ad revenue, and they all have that. But it a lot of it comes down to like the audience paying for the uh, creators' content and the value. But the platforms do extract a ton of value from these creators, and we've seen things like you mentioned um TikTok's fun, but also but that's coming from advertising. But um, Spotlight. On, on snapchat with their million dollar fund and it's kind of like almost like a creator lottery and apparently there's some big really big checks written to creators like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and they've got a million bucks a day which is um interesting like they're paying for the content right which is a, a, a new play for a, a lot of these social platforms to pay the creators directly for the content rather than pay for their leverage of the ad share or um you tip a creator or you, you know, um, become a member or you obviously then buy merch or something like that. So like, do you think those that there's a a shift happening there or is, or even do you have a philosophy of who do you think actually should be paying these creators?
0: Yeah. So yes and no is really the answer. Uh, is spotlight, you know, Snapchat's doing an amazing thing, paying out a million dollars a day to creators. That's brilliant, right? Is it something new? not really right it's it's a brilliant marketing stunt but you know I'll, musically and then tiktok have been spending budget for years paying influencers to create content about the platform often the destination for that content was not necessarily tiktok or maybe it would eventually end up there but it was hey i want you to promote on instagram how great tiktok is and try to you know bleed away audience to these other apps youtube famously has had you know it's uh it's creator initiatives where it's invested in channels, it's invested in uh, original content um, fr- from, you know, premier YouTube creators. So uh, it's, it's awesome, right? I love when platforms set aside a fund, invest in their creators, um, build that community online, they, they need to be doing that. Um, is it, you know, is that ultimately where most of the money is going to come from? Not really, right? So philosophically, I think a lot of the money in the ecosystem, it's no surprise, comes from brands, right? If you think about the triangle of you have uh, audience, you have creators, and you have brands, you need kind of all three legs of the stool. So a lot of this still comes from brands, and I don't think that's going away. Advertising will probably always be a part of the, the social media experience. But the users are increasingly you know, an important piece of this monetization equation. That's where the user pay comes into to play. That's happening on platforms directly, so you know tipping on Twitch and YouTube. Um, you've got uh, you know the, the channel subscription option which you know, YouTube offers, uh, where people pay for you know access to special uh, behind the scenes content or premier videos or whatever else. Um, and then you have off platform monetization, right? Patreon was probably the the first example of this. Um, you have new platforms like OnlyFans, which are encouraging this model. So I think ultimately we're going to have you know, all three of those, uh, elements helping to contribute money to the, to the pie creators will monetize from the platforms, from their fans and from brands and advertisers.
1: And I mean, in, in terms of this, the, the user pay model, I mean, this is something that has become, you know, something that is growing, especially because I get, you know, you, viewers have become very accustomed to getting free content from their creators and, you know, the the creators sort of monetize in different ways but this idea of user pay where you know viewers get special access like how where is the trajectory of that going
0: that's going to be massive and for a few reasons right i think one user pay has become more of an accepted phenomenon think of it as like as as uh, we get more and more comfortable with subscription business models The idea of, you know, subscribing to be a patron and supporting the type of content that you like, there's a greater adoption for that. The other piece of it is, you know, the ways in which we get other forms of traditional entertainment have changed, right? Like, I don't go out and buy CDs or, um, you know, DVDs anymore. So the money that we were spending in transactional formats has gone down. The amount of money that we're paying for a subscription basis for traditional premium content for younger generations, I think is also going down, right? With the exception of like sports, you can get virtually everything through a streaming provider now, even niche content and super fandom opportunities like horror through Shudder, or, um, you know, uh, you can get um, uh, like anime content through Funimation and Crunchyroll. So that has proven out that, you know, people are going to ultimately end up spending the same amount of money on entertainment um, as they were before, but rather than that going, to these physical sales and to these, you know, the cable bundles, that money is now being allocated to through kind of these micro payments to the specific fandoms that people like, whether that was, you know, buying their merch or now subscribing and paying them directly for the product that's become a more accepted practice.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, look, I I have heard stories in the past where creators have created like, you know, gated content. um, And I think there'd been, There'd been some pushback on that. It hadn't been as popular as I thought it had been. I, I personally think it's to do with the way they manage expectations around it and how they introduced you know, their, their viewership to it. Um, but you're right, it, it does seem like it's becoming um, more... More popular. I mean, I look at things like Nebula, for example. You talked about the other other networks. You know, Nebula has has a pretty interesting group of creators based around it who offer a ton of free content on the YouTube channels, but then they can subscribe to Nebula and get some more premium rated shows. I guess. And this seems to be doing. You know, it seems to be pretty popular. Um, but like, what do you think the method is that if you are going to have a, a series of gated content or um, you know, user pay content, what should the methodology be behind that? What should a creator be thinking about?
0: I think really the success here is access, right? So what does a super fan want? They want to feel closer to the creator. Um, one of my favorite creators that I follow online, there's a couple of examples. I've, I love Drew Gooden. He was kind of my gateway drug into Danny Gonzalez. And Danny, uh, you know, has his main channel on YouTube where he promotes his content. He's doing stuff on TikTok. He creates these like parody videos and, and songs which go up on Spotify and Apple Music. So he's monetizing all these different ways. He did tours, you know, back when that was safe to do so a couple of years ago. Uh, but what's really clever is he's got now his second YouTube channel where he posts more behind the scenes, like uh, casual content. It's not as heavily edited. It's probably not as well researched, but it, it kind of shows this other side of him uh, to, to his fans. Obviously has, you know, a smaller following, but I think for the, the big fans, they like that type of content. And then he charges, um, you know, these the super fans to join his private community on Discord. Right. And so obviously not everyone is going to opt for that, but those that do want to have that access to Danny, they want to be able to, you know, see him interact in the discord servers, you know, on a daily basis, they want to connect with other fans and people who really love his content and this, cre- this community that he's created. So I think that's what it's all about is like facilitating the overall sense of community and fandom among this group that you've, you've helped develop and then providing greater access to you as the creative personality.
2: It's interesting. You mentioned like the, the private discord. Cause I was, I was just chatting to a, a creator this morning uh, who had been borrowed this green screen. I won't, won't name them, but they, they were ask, you know, they're like uh, talking about what we're, what we're up to today. And it's like, I oh, yeah. talk about this. And he was, he's was like, oh, I'm thinking about doing that exact thing with my discord. Got quite a, not a massive creator, but has quite a, um, a quite a well populated discord. Um, and, but he, it's gotten a bit hectic, a bit kind of bigger than what he really wants it to be, and it's lost that sort of personal touch, personality. But he does have the Patreon-only area, and that's pretty much where it all happens anyway. And he's like, well, I'm thinking about turning my, my, Patreon, my Discord private just for Patreons only, but I'm going to burn a whole bunch of people. So like, try, just sort of trying to navigate that space and like, still, okay, maybe I can keep one channel open. Or a public Discord, and then everything else goes behind the gate, behind the paywall. So yeah, it's quite an interesting thing to hear that you know it's, a, it's obviously not uncommon that model, um, but that's the kind of um, questions that creators are asking and thinking about. Like they're considering these, but they're also considering like the positive and negative impact from both financial and also the blowback from from a potentially scorned.
0: <laughs> it's tough, right? It's hard to, to pull that back once you've already offered it. But I think the key here is, yeah, what is that exchange of value where it's like, hey, you know, if you really want to, to get access to the real conversations and the other kind of parts of this community that are happening in the private discord, you know, you need to, to pay to help me be able to create this type of content right? It's, it's an almost akin to like a freemium model for a, a SaaS product, right? You want to give people an opportunity to try it and get familiar. And then, hey, if they're willing to take the plunge and like really go into the, the super fandom, they have the chance to take that next step. And
1: do you think it's going to become sort of like, how, you know, YouTube ads, people just expect them and they're like, yep, that's fine. This is part of how we watch content. But do you think that the gated option will become just sort of like, yep, we accept that if we really want to, we'll go down that path? Or do you think it'll still be something that was, that's going to be harder to to implement?
0: I think so, right? I mean, I I can only share from my personal experience, but um, you know, as someone who watches premium entertainment, right? Like SNL is a great example. I love the show, comes out on Saturday night, but I will tend to watch it like on Sunday and before I was watching it on Hulu, but I would way rather watch it on YouTube because I end up actually seeing fewer ads where I can skip them, right? So I end up with less interrupted ad time and more of the great content that I like. So Um, that's, you know, a show or a format where it's really easy to do that. But even like news content, I will confess here on this program, right? Here's a, here's a story for you. I was an early Quibi user, right? Like I I downloaded the app when it first came out. was like, sure, I'll sign up for my 90 day free trial, six months, whatever was a crazy long time. I use the app almost every day and pretty much the only, like I I wanted to learn about it. it was new. Everyone was talking about it. It was not bullish on the opportunity. I was like, I'll check it out, right? And I saw some of the original shows. Um, there was some funny stuff from like Funnier Die and a few other really kind of awesome content creators. Uh, but the thing that I ended up watching more than anything else was news, right? We were right in the midst of like, you know, 2020 political election cycle. We've got COVID going on. I like, wanted to know what's happening in the world all the time. And what happened the day before I was going to get charged to start subscribing to Quibi, I... I deleted the app and I started watching news content on YouTube, right? I watch a collective, maybe 10, 15 seconds of ads. Um, Hopefully, you know, NBC News is getting some money from me, but I watch it with my breakfast every morning. I love it, right? It's like, as a consumer, I don't mind the ads. Or if I do, to the point that like, I'm willing to pay, like on Spotify, I don't want ads and I'm listening to music. So I pay for a premium subscription. It costs me 10 bucks a month and that's not a big deal. I'm happy to support it and support the artists because I love listening to
2: music. Yeah. I love that. That's all like just leads back to that whole value exchange, right? Like clearly even at, well, at free, Quibi was something for you. <laughs> the threat of anything leaving your pocket to pay for it, like the value wasn't there. And I guess that's like, a, a you know, a creator or a media company or anyone needs to just then run that scenario in their head, right? Like, am I going to provide enough value? for whatever it is that I'm asking for the in exchange. like, And they've was, repeatedly
0: gotten it wrong, right? Yeah. Verizon Go 90, you know, full screens, S-Pod service. Uh, could be. They all were like, oh, we'll just make it super, super cheap, right? Three ninety nine. dollars no one's going to think about that. All these, you know, young kids are going to, you know, pay to subscribe to this stuff. But no way. Kids are smart, right? They're like, they are a discerning user who knows I can get this content for free somewhere else or I can subscribe to something, that like netflix or whatever that has an incredible content library which yes it costs more but the value that it delivers is commensurate with the with the cost
1: the, the idea of value i think a lot of creators we talk to you and sort of the advanced ones i, I still don't think they under, understand like the, the concept of value really well and how to really provide that um and it sounds like you know like what you're saying like people who are doing well with the gated content you know they're providing that that extra level of connection and value there um how do you? What would you recommend to creators in terms of creating value? How do you think they should think about it?
0: Again, it's unique for every creator and their audience. I, I they start with your fans, and they'll tell you, right? I don't think it's like a mystery for a creator of what do my fans want. You're going to hear about it every day. That's the beauty of these, um, you know, these content platforms where it's truly a dialogue. It's not just mm. I'm making content in a vacuum and broadcasting it anymore. It's you know the platforms have these built-in feedback mechanisms, and increasingly these newer platforms, right. Twitch and others where you're live streaming, the audience shapes the direction of the content. And so that real-time interaction allows them to tell you what they're looking for. That helps you determine what is the appropriate value exchange and, and pull your audience like, hey, what do you want me to make my next video about? Or do you want me to go on a tour? I'd love to, but in order to do that, I need, the budget is going to be X. And so you know, do you want to do a crowdfunding campaign? Do you want to buy my merch? Do you want to you know, subscribe to my Patreon to help enable these dreams to become a reality?
1: And why do you think creators are so notoriously bad at asking for like asking for people to give them money?
0: I guess it depends on which creators you follow, right? Yeah. Some are obnoxious about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we all have watched Jake Paul content, and he's incessantly asking for people to to pay and trying to monetize them as as often as he can. Other creators, I think, you know, maybe it's personality; they're just a little bit more shy, or they um, that it's it's hard to to make the ask sometimes, um, but you know, the the truly successful ones are the ones who find a way to lead with value. And then ultimately, you know, the the exchange comes naturally, you don't have to force it or fake it, you know, you have the passive ad income, you can uh, build something truly valuable that people want to subscribe to, you can find ways to offer something fun that's on brand for you that people want to buy if it's commerce or merch, right? Like there are there are ways to approach it. But um, I think it just differs for every every personality type.
2: Can I not, not contradict, but throw a contradictory uh, anecdote for you, Jimmy You my guest. Asking the audience was pretty interesting. Um, Fred and I have been hanging out on Clubhouse quite a bit. Um, and, uh, like, you know, Mr. Beast, you know, Jimmy got on there and, you know, like he was talking and someone asked him about this sort of stuff. And he said, look, if I listened, if I did exactly what my audience kept telling me to, or asking me to do, I'd still be tipping pizza delivery guys 10000 Um So it's like that. And... Uh, like it's not saying that i think it's kind of like the balance right the creators should be definitely using those tools and using the audience and saying hey what do you want also let the data say it as well right like the data says what people want because a lot of the time creators will be like oh my audience keeps telling me they love this stuff but the views just aren't there and when i make this other video heaps people come and watch it it's like yeah it's well people are saying one thing and they're doing something else but um and then also like you've gotten to this point from intuition as well and you're you're like this thing deep inside of you so it's kind of like this blend right i find of like what does the analytics say and then what do the humans when they talk to you say and then you probably end up in like this beautiful Venn diagram of do that <laughs> um Yeah,
0: I think that's a totally fair counterpoint. And Jimmy is the perfect example of someone who's always looking to raise the stakes. And he measures his success, not based on viewership or engagement or what, you know, with the audience metrics, but on impact, right? Like, how can he help the most people? How can he do the most crazy, outrageous things for good? And I think that's what's propelled him to this next level. He's always looking to say, okay, cool, we gave the pizza guy $10,000. How can we buy a homeless person a house, right? How can we plant 20 million trees? Like. And it's not just him, it's his team. It's, you know, this broader movement that he's inspired online. It's other influencers that he's collaborated with. Uh, that is the true power of, of what he's building. But it's a totally, absolutely fair counterpoint. I, I love that.
1: It is It is a, a, a truly fascinating area. And it is, it is one that, like, I, we do find that some creators are just... You know, they have that slightly entrepreneurial edge to them, so they don't mind taking that step. But a, a lot of them um, find it genuinely difficult to understand what that next that next step is. There, yeah. um, But look, hopefully, and you
0: guys talk to more creators than I do, so I suspect you have a really good, you know, gut feel of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's well, um, you know, we are. One thing we're trying to do is figure out ways to make it easier for them, or more logical for them, at least give them a framework to to work um, to help, like to normalize it a little bit more and understand it a bit more. Um, but you pointed out before you know there'll be a, a range of new creators doing you know these new businesses and new entrepreneurial opportunity new entrepreneurial opportunities so that I think they will get used to to taking this next step forward but yeah it'll be interesting to see who makes really big inroads in this space next um, i'm sure it'll be mr beast no doubt because <laughs> that's what he does but yeah yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah a really interesting area cool, cool.
2: hey hey james i want to want to throw one out here. it's this totally switching gears completely um in your intro and, and i was stalking you on linkedin the other day doing some research really but like there's a, and you mentioned that you're an advisor to to many startups many companies um and you know Bitcoin advisor advisory panel and stuff like that what's the best advice you've ever given
0: wow <laughs> <laughs> not being given given Sure, sure. Wow. Um, I, gosh, it's, it's hard to comment. But I would say, really, the things that you do as an advisor more than anything else is to listen and ask the right questions, right? So while giving advice definitely plays into it, you know, I think the way you qualify advice is based on a your level of expertise, right? And then also the stage of a business, right? So in an early stage, you know, it's a lot of pattern matching. I might look at something and say, "Okay, I've been like through this some something like this before." I can share a story, or lessons that I've learned, or I've heard from other entrepreneurs. Uh, whereas in later stages, right, it's execution. They they're going to know the business. It's at a, such a scale, you know, you're not going to fully appreciate every element about it. So it's really more about gut checking their assumptions, trying to encourage a founder or C level executive to, to examine the things that um, they might be their blind spots, and then guide them towards a path but ultimately they need to synthesize the information make the right decision i guess the advice that i most commonly give to early stage entrepreneurs um, is based on the mistakes that i made as a first-time founder right and so probably the thing i repeat more than anything else is go deep before you go wide right when we started paladin we were going to, we built a influencer discovery tool and a royalty accounting and payments engine and a creator dashboard and, you know, a rights management and content protection tool, a channel management tool. It's Like, you know, we just, we were so passionate about everything that was happening in the industry and wanted to build all these awesome solutions for media companies, influencer agencies, creator networks, talent managers. There's just so many problems to tackle. We're like, we well, are just try and do it all. Right. And, and, uh, what that ended up meaning was we stretched our resources very thin. It's also hard to tell a story, right? It's like, what do you do? Well, you know, we do this, we do that and a little bit of this thing. And so I always tell people, you know, start off with the the biggest problem. What's the 10x pain that, you know, that your customer is experiencing? How do you solve that? And and again, it comes back to value exchange, what would they be willing to pay to alleviate that pain? And so, you know, we're we're gearing up now, my business partner and I've been working on a new venture for the past two plus years called Measure Studio, which is a business intelligence tool based on understanding your content performance and helping to inform your social strategy. And it would have been so easy you know, for us as we've been developing and launching this product to build a social listening tool or an audience development tool like to buddy your vidIQ or you know, um, go down the road of building uh, publishing and, and workflow solutions. And we just kept saying, that's not what we're here to build. We know what our North Star is. That's what we're solving. And people would ask for these things. We say, that's not us. Here's a great tool for that, Right. And so trying to now apply this advice that I've given to so many others over the years, um, because I think it, it, it leads to success when you have that really laser focus on, on your one specific objective.
2: I love that. I thought you were going to back away slowly from that. So I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> that was
1: that was a question without
2: notice, and it is a really tough question to yeah. answer.
0: But- no, it's totally fair. I love the curveballs. So
1: it, look, it's going. it's, it's it, it is super advice, and I mean even great for in creators, creative entrepreneurs who are you know who are trying to do so many things. Sometimes and they they know they're chasing their tails because so many opportunities are in front of them. But it, you're absolutely right. It's about that that focus and and tackling those those big pain points. You know, um, fantastic, um, and. Unfortunately, we actually have really run out of time. We have one more thing. We have one more thing. Oh, Don't yes, it. we it do. Trent always
2: drops this unfortunately rubbish yeah. on me. It's not unfortunate. It's, it's, yeah, it's very unfortunate. I, I wanted to chat more. It's it's finished, but unfortunately it ain't finishing, Frederico, because <laughs> I have one more left, left of field question for James. Bring yes. it on. Where, where has the internet, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitch, rabbit hole, wherever it might be, where has that taken you lately? Where did you end up? When oh, boy. Deep into the rabbit hole.
0: Sure. Yeah, there's so many things. Um, I'd say the, the the thing that I have most appreciated recently is Lubalin on TikTok. Have you seen his internet drama videos? No, TikTok hilarious. I will send them to you guys after. He basically takes um, these dramatic altercations between people online. One, the, the first one he ever did was uh, about someone who's selling a product to someone online through like a Facebook Marketplace or an offer up. Uh, And I recently moved. So I've I've been through that. And I I empathize with the situation. But he writes this incredible music to it. And just the the ridiculous dialogue and the exchange between these two people. So that was the first one. The second one, which I think was the most popular and attracted such fame was these two women arguing on Facebook over uh, a stolen, you know, uh, casserole recipe. uh, And just the name calling that ensues. So like that has brought me to tears, and I I literally watched it like multiple times a day for like a week. <laughs> I was so obsessed. Um, so Louboutin has been my guilty pleasure uh, internet sensation of of recent. Ooh,
2: nice. I love it, Freddie. Where have you been?
1: Uh, oh on TikTok, uh, I find oh well, uh, i found an account that um, talks about art, not art history, and just makes it really interesting, and accessible. Um, it's called the Iconoclaws. Um, yeah, uh, I think, uh, she was an editor and she just had a passion and that's her background in art and just started doing these really great little segments on, on art and art history. And it's actually really, it's really good. Really. It just, it's one of my favorite particular account art.
0: Do you have a, uh, oh, I was going to ask, yeah, do you have a favorite artist or? or no, specific, no, I mean, uh, I, st- I,
1: I, I studied art for years and she just covers everything, you know, just all these different elements. And I think she started a, a YouTube channel too, which has, um, they're more like uh, essays um, in terms of one particular thing. I think she talked about the the art or behind Harry Potter, the art inspirations and in Harry Potter, and one, That's you know, cool. ba- Banksy versus a, a, a famous ancient artist and old artist and that kind of thing. It's really, is it's really, great. it's really interesting stuff. It's one of these That's things awesome. that you, you didn't think. Oh, I spent a lot of time watching, but I actually spent a lot of time watching it.
2: Any paladin art art. In
1: that Fred <laughs> <Anybody>? French knots. <laughs> French not. You know but what? I'm sure there is some way. I Just never thought about it. it. It is there is a lot of um of French that era. Knotted. Yeah, yeah. So
0: our mascot is a horse, right? Because the paladins yeah. uh, rode on horseback. They were the defenders of the city, so they carried these big shields and rode on horses. And and so I have this friend, and actually one of my first customers, Bastian. Whenever he sees a horse or a horse statue or something. He sends me a picture of it on WhatsApp, and it's like this amazing <laughs> ongoing running joke that whenever he encounters a horse in the wild, I get a picture of it. And I love it. Uh, nice, that's
2: awesome. awesome. How about you, Ann?
0: Where is the internet rabbit hole oh, taking well, you I these guess,
2: days? You know, I just thought no one was going to ask me. I was, <laughs> it's kind of on topic. Like I've been probably late to the party on on Colin and Samir, um, a couple of YouTube creators who like they've been they've got a podcast as well, but they really just like open up about what it's like being a decent like a big creator they they tell it all um and they're really fun entertaining guys but they yeah they like people ask like oh how much did you make last year and they explain what they how they did and what they like what they made and they like really open and they like, understand what's going on um yeah it's kind of been interesting sort of being nerding out and in, in our in our That's space it's really cool yeah guys. now frederica you can drop your cut us off kick us out of here unfortunately
1: oh right okay yeah uh unfortunately guys we are out of time but you know what james it has been awesome we've got some very good pointers from you thank you for that hopefully we'll see you soon um and i sure and hope so yeah as soon as i more. get a
0: vaccine i'm i'm hopping on a flight and we'll we'll hang out in australia <laughs>
1: that sounds great all right mate. thanks very much
0: thank you guys such a pleasure awesome to get to hang out and chat with you